Hello, everyone, and welcome to Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scriven-Young, and I'm a commercial and environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Bakar & Abramson, which is recognized as the largest law firm serving the construction industry with 115 lawyers and 10 offices around the U.S. On this show, we talk to the country's top litigators and judges to discover best practices in developing our careers, winning cases, getting more clients, and building a sustainable practice. This podcast is brought to you by the litigation section of the American Bar Association. The litigation section provides litigators of all practice areas the resources we need to be successful advocates for our clients. Learn more at ambar.org litigation. As lawyers, we get intensely focused on the job in front of us. In law school, we're focused on getting good grades and building our resume to make sure we're employed when we graduate. And when we get that great job as a litigator, we're focused on building our skills and performing the best we can for our clients. But the demands, unpredictable schedule, and stresses of our day-to-day activities can lead us to question our purpose, whether we're cut out for the job, should we be doing something else with our lives, or whether we can add something to make our lives as litigators more meaningful. Well, joining me to discover the answers to these questions is a friend of the show who is an inspirational spiritual leader, motivational speaker, outstanding litigator, and a true example of servant leadership, the secretary of the ABA litigation section, Tiffany Williams. Now, I'm just going to give a brief summary of Tiffany's bio. She has a very impressive resume, so I'll just say that she's the associate director of advocacy, empowerment, and faith at Pepperdine University Caruso School of Law. She's a former New Jersey administrative law judge, and she brings her judicial experience into the classroom and the law school community. Ms. Williams is also a frequent international lecturer and trainer, having conducted legal writing, trial advocacy, and judicial judgment drafting training in Saudi Arabia and throughout the African continent. Prior to her judicial service, Ms. Williams served as a senior advisor to several leaders in state government over the course of her career, including as Deputy Chief Counsel to the New Jersey Governor and New Jersey Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. She is also a former Assistant U.S. Attorney and previously worked in private practice. And in addition to her legal career, Ms. Williams is a pastor and an advocate for the global advancement of women and girls as founder and CEO of the Esther Project, a nonprofit women's empowerment movement encouraging women to discover their life purpose and become intentional leaders. Ms. Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. Excited to be here. Well, let's get right into the questions. And, you know, when you talk to litigators about their purpose, they might say something like, well, I've already found my purpose. I went to law school and I'm a lawyer and that's what I was meant to do. What do you see as the difference between your purpose and your job or skill set? Well, first, Dave, I have to say litigators don't talk a lot about purpose, right? They're very busy and which makes them even more primed to be kind of stuck in a rut sometimes of doing what's right in front of them. So, you know, I try to enlighten litigators in particular to think a little bit more broadly about the significance that their life is adding to the larger world. You know, I think that your purpose is why you exist. It's those big, heady questions that we never really ask ourselves as litigators, right? Uh, We're so busy helping others to solve their problems and helping others to have their significance to be put out into the world when they receive an obstacle that a litigator can help them to overcome. But your purpose is why you exist and how potentially you can express your unique significance in the world. A lot of times we think about what are our gifts 
gifts and our talents. So those can be cues and should be tools to use for your purpose. And similarly, your role as a litigator may be a tool for your purpose, but it should not define you. So your purpose is really digging deep to figure out what really defines you. And you can take that purpose into different types of roles. As you read my bio, you hear all the different types of roles that I had. So I was challenged to figure out early in my career, who am I? Why do I exist? Why am I a lawyer? What bigger than just a job do I want to contribute to the world through being a lawyer? Well, and we'll get into your journey, but I, I wonder if you could just tell us, because again, I don't think people really think about this as litigators. You know, yeah. we're kind of doing our jobs. Why is it important in particular to find out and sort of live your purpose outside of, you know, what you're doing, you know, in your day-to-day job? Your purpose is tied to your life fulfillment. Why you exist is ultimately why you're happy. And the point that you realize your purpose is the start of your journey to what I believe to be the highest level of fulfillment that you can have. You know, while I may enjoy using my iPhone to uh, use the calculator feature, (laughs) to use some of the other apps that are on it, if I'm not using it as a phone or the smartphone aspect of using the internet on it, I'm not using it to its highest purpose. So it'll still work. I'll still look and appear to others as if I have, you know, the latest and the greatest technology, but that phone is not getting used to its highest purpose. So we in our life should be conscious about and asking ourselves in what I'm doing day to day, am I happy? Do I feel fulfilled? Not do I make a lot of money? Do I get a lot of accolades? Do people think I'm important? Do people call and rely on me? Am I in high demand for my skills? The question is, do I feel fulfilled and happy with how I am placing my value into the marketplace? And I've had to ask myself those questions too, Dave. And and people often ask me, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you go back to a law firm? Why don't you do... I am fully aware, you know, uh, based on my journey of how to position myself and market myself and really look within at how do I want to spend my day every day? I don't want to spend my day billing hours at this point in my life. But having done that earlier in my career has given me a set of skills, freedom, relationships to be able to say, I want to spend my time now training the next generation of lawyers and looking for women that are in crisis and bringing public policy solutions to some of the largest issues that impact women, not only in the legal profession, but in the world. So you talked about life fulfillment and happiness. Do you think that finding your purpose also would improve health outcomes. I was reading a book recently where, you know, that was sort of one of the things that this doctor talked about was, you know, when you're 
sort of acting in alignment with your purpose, you actually feel better and you actually, and perhaps it has to do with, you know, something chemically. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it just seems like you would be healthier if you were acting within your purpose. You would feel less depressed, perhaps, um, something along those lines. Have you seen any of that in your work? I absolutely have seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the men and women that I have led over the course of my career as well. And I certainly believe uh, that doctor. (laughs) I believe that there is science behind that too. If you think about it, your body is an instrumentality of your purpose. You know, as litigators, there is a certain, you know, physical shape and eating regimen that would really empower our ability to have the stamina and the mental clarity to do what we do. So that's the same for anything else in life and looking at our purpose more broadly. Our physical body can absolutely reflect whether we feel good about ourselves, good about getting up every day and going to work. And we know now definitively the impact, Dave, that stress has on our physical bodies, how it can, you know, affect outcomes in significant ways. And so the opposite is true as well. So I definitely believe that there is a correlation between your life, happiness, enjoyment. We also see these studies being uh, proliferated when it comes to um, emphasizing how important meditation can be and how our breathing is even impacted by what our mood may be, how we start to breathe shallow and very fast when we get upset or when we're just in a rush. So litigators, I think, Dave, are truly at risk if they are not intentional people, which is what I think this whole concept of purpose is really driving us to do, to be intentional about our decisions in order to maximize our life happiness. I think that we can fall into a rut and just kind of go with the pace that litigation may set without being intentional people and driving the ship. So if there's any message I can give out here to litigators who are still wondering, listening to this podcast, how is this relevant for me, right? Become the captain of your ship. Well, that's great advice. And so let's talk about your, the decisions that you've made in your life. So tell us a little bit about your journey. You've, I mean, obviously I read only a small portion of your bio, you have very impressive background. You've done so many things within the profession. So tell us more about your journey and what your purpose is. Sure. Well, one thing that you've read is that uh, I'm a spiritual leader as well. uh, So I I, I can't uh, talk about my journey without talking about the role that uh, faith has played in my life as it has in in many litigators that I know in their life and their decision making too. But I think my faith, and I am a pastor, so I I do a little bit more uh, intentional kind of study. I'm a Christian minister of of the Bible, biblical teachings. I pray very intentionally. I I serve and, and certainly feel called to serve God by serving others. And that causes me to have, I think, a daily practice that grounds me to making sure that I am, first and foremost, being a person of integrity, second, being a person of excellence, and third, being in alignment with my own happiness and joy. 
So my spiritual practice throughout my career has gotten stronger, and I see a correlation between my spiritual commitments becoming stronger and my decision-making becoming bolder about where I will assign my value proposition. So, you know, there there was a day, and actually it was uh, September 11th, that I was sitting in Boston, uh, the uh, tragedy of 9-11 having happened and being at the very first law firm that I worked at outside of having graduated law school and having retrieved voicemails. This is after having had to run down for, run down 43 flights of stairs. Even though I was in Boston, there were uh, bomb scares that were happening and, and threats all throughout the largest buildings in the city. And the planes had left from there, too. So there was still a lot of fear. And so we had to evacuate my building, ran down 43 flights of stairs. Also hearing from friends back in New York City that were working in the World Financial District and, you know, they're they're missing. So I I decide to go home at this point, can't go back in the building. And I, I go and I retrieve my voicemails. And there are several partners who were asking me the status of work on that day. And I just decided that day, like this, no, this is not, not only a place, and it was a great firm, but just for me, I decided that th- this is not how I want to align my value. I want to be able to have the freedom to, for example, uh, grieve, uh, feel what I'm feeling uh, and not be accountable for billable hours and, and work to other owners of a law firm. So it was experiences like that along my journey, having awakening kind of moments. You know, some I had control over, others I had less control. I have lost a job in my, you know, more than one job in my legal career. And so, Dave, that also will bring you to a point of having to reassess again. So I've had that experience, having to reassess where do I want to assign my value proposition and also having to learn at those moments when you have the unexpected happen to you that I am not defined by that job. Who am I? What are the skills I have? And where do I want to assign my value next? So that's really what set me on the trajectory. And it was really after getting let go from a job earlier in my career that I really tapped into this concept of purpose. And I realized that where my heart and passion was, was really helping people and leveraging the skill set of knowing how to solve legal problems. And I got my master's in public administration before law school. So I always had this interest in public policy and public administration. But I knew that I wanted to help vulnerable people using the legal system and using public policy to help protect them and to empower them. So that awareness came from some times of adversity and those sort of watershed moments where you have to really kind of look inside and and see who you are and and, and what's next. And that's what led me to the place I am today, having also made the decision at one point, Dave, to leave the bench. People still think I'm crazy. Some think something must have happened, you know, negative. Why would someone leave being a judge? You could have been a judge for the rest of your life. You could have had different levels of judgeship. All true. But 
I was uh, hearing welfare cases one day, and there were women who, you know, had been denied social entitlements, children sitting there. And I, I realized that through some of the work that I wanted to do in my nonprofit, I could help these women more in their life than I could as a judge who could only say whether the Division of Social Services had rightly or wrongly denied them benefits. And so those are some examples of the moments that came to me. And then I had to act in accordance therewith. And that's what caused me to take each step. Well, so many things for me to unpack there. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing is, you know, perhaps the grass is not greener on the other side, but you won't know until you try. You know, sometimes, you know, we hear you know, people say, you know, if I had this job or I became a judge or I went in house, my life would be so much better and my life would just be different. And perhaps that's true. Perhaps it's not. But you won't know unless you try to do it. And as long as it sort of aligns with with your purpose, with your uh, set of with your set of principles, then go for it. Right. And is that part of your advice? Absolutely. And I will also acknowledge, Dave, that I'm I'm single. So I was a single professional that did not have the pressure of caring for others or having others rely upon me financially, which gave me a certain freedom to do that as well. I do recognize that it gets challenging when you may have other constraints on your life and others that are relying on you. But I still say to those people, to thine own self be true, because your your family is going to benefit more from a happy you, a fulfilled you, a creative you, a you that is there for them. So these are the sort of decisions that nonetheless are tied into relationships too. And how do you want to show up in the world? And how do you want to leave people feeling having encountered you? Being a purposeful and intentional leader, I think, allows you to be more positive and impactful and can make you more marketable, actually, (laughs) because the value that you are assigning to people by listening to them, which is what being a judge really showed me how to really listen and give others an opportunity to be heard, those sort of, of, of skills can really make you more marketable as a legal professional and as a litigator as well. So I think it's possible, Dave, to be a litigator and to be purposeful. I just think you have to be very intentional about it and strive to to lead and not just follow the flow of our legal profession. Well, totally agree with you on your point about, you know, your family is affected by whether or not you're happy. I have two boys and I'm married and I can tell you my mood has definitely been impacted by my job. I was at uh, two larger firms before I was at, I came to the firm I'm at now. And all three firms, I think, you know, had their challenges, had their good points. But certainly, um, you know, now that I'm at a, you know, mid-sized firm, you know, working for somebody who, you know, really appreciates family. And, you know, my boss, for example, has, you know, five kids. So, you know, he totally understands, you know, when I have to go home and 
go to a school event or, or coach a baseball game or that sort of thing. So, yeah, you can totally uh, see the the difference in, in sort of my mood depending on, you know, the atmosphere that I come out mm. of. But enough about me. Um, let's get into some specific advice for litigators. So I think you have five tips for us to discover our purpose and to live intentionally in alignment with that purpose uh, for litigators. So let's uh, start with uh, tip number one. Absolutely. So it may sound redundant, but let's not assume anything. I think tip number one is to seek to find your purpose. Hopefully through our podcast today, you are compelled to see why purpose matters. Purpose helps you to be the best you the most authentic you. And we have spent a lot of time and energy and and money investing in ourselves in the legal profession. So why not be the absolute best and highest form of yourself? And your purpose also allows you to bring the highest form of yourself to the world. Now, we are living in times, we've had several mass shootings, Dave, in just the, the past few days. So we are living in times where we see that People are hurting, and hurting people are hurting other people in ways that are pretty significant. And we have to take the time out also to figure out how does being a litigator, how does being a lawyer, how can it help solve some of the larger systemic problems that we're seeing in this world? If you are an IP lawyer, you may not know what you can do about furthering racial justice, but maybe there is yet and still a role for you. But finding and discovering your purpose and identifying that will help you to figure out how you can maybe take on a pro bono client or invest in you know a black business in your area or give some pro bono IP advice to an African-American entrepreneur, finding your purpose causes you to look for how to share your gifts and how to receive the gifts that others have to share with you as well, which can enhance your career too. So first tip is definitely finding your purpose. I think tantamount also, um, or a companion, I should say, to finding your purpose is having vision. So, you know, Dave, I had the jobs that I had and and many times because I envisioned some aspect of them at some point in my life. Being a judge was something that I envisioned as a child. So I think taking the time to just write down with my law students, I have them write on a piece of paper. If they can't do a formal vision board, I have them write down. Where do you see yourself in the future? How do you want to practice? Who do you want to represent? Where do you want to live? What sort of relationship are you in? So have vision for your career. Well, and I would say also, to me, it's important to go through that process for you know your career. But I think you're exactly right. Think about your vision for your life outside of your career. Yes. You know, what is your what do you want your financial situation to look like? What do you yes. want your relationship to look like? What do you want your spirituality to look at? And I'm sure this is a process that you've been through. Absolutely. Looking at your life holistically. I actually volunteered and taught a seminar on this at a, a retreat for drug court participants. And it was hosted through the administrative office of the courts uh, back in New Jersey and I had, you know, grown men and women who were facing, you know, some real time on drug court to come up and to write down their vision of their life. 
And when I tell you that there were grown men and women crying as they are also explaining it because they're realizing some of the broken dreams that they have, yet the beauty of believing and having hope that they can achieve these things again. So while it may not be that dramatic of an exercise for you as a litigator, it may be because you may realize that you've spent so much time helping others, as I have in my life, realize that there are some things that you have not taken the time out to pursue yourself. So being purposeful, having vision increases your life enjoyment also and fulfillment because it appropriately allows you to prioritize you. Excellent. So my next tip is, uh, you know, as you are looking at your vision, trying to move forward in it, you know, you have to develop some goals, as we know. But certainly my tip is to engage your tribe, those around you, your network, those that you trust that support you, that they can be mentors, sponsors, peers, family members. Engage your tribe in your goal achievement. And that also can help you to have a check for your own alignment with your own purpose. Others can tell you the things that they think that are possible for you to achieve because of what they see in you. What you think is so like easy, others may think is very hard and therefore they can help you point to something that you're very good at and you are gifted in. So I think keeping your tribe around to help you with your goal achievement is great and gives you great accountability as well. Well, let's talk about tribe because I, I think this is an extremely important point, especially for litigators who are, you know, like me, sort of type A personalities. You think you have all the answers. But when you're faced with a problem that you can't solve by yourself, at least for me, I felt stuck, you know, sometimes where I'm feeling like, wow, you know, I can't figure this out. And then maybe you are going out and perhaps doing something that, you know, you shouldn't be doing. So just a personal example for my life. So I've been an ABA, American Bar Association person my whole life. And when I started as a young lawyer, came up through the young lawyers division and, you know, wasn't really sort of making my way throughout the organization, wanted to get a leadership position, but really couldn't get there. And so I called a friend of mine who was very high in the organization. And I said, you know what, this is maybe this is just not for me. This whole, you know, bar association thing isn't working. And she goes, well, you know, I have an idea for you. This person, Michael, is from your area. He's, you know, from Chicago. He's going to be chair of the Young Lawyers Division. Why don't you just give him a call, let him know you're interested in leadership? And, you know, for me, it was like a surprise, like, oh my gosh, someone actually would want to help me. And I think so many people just don't realize that there are so many people out there who actually do want to help you. And then I sort of have done the same thing over time as sort of built my own tribe. So to the extent that people, I think, feel stuck or they don't know where to turn, there are people out there who've sort of reached that mountain top that you want to get to. Reach out to those people and ask for help. There's nothing wrong in doing that. Absolutely. And that is a skill that you cannot start early enough. So if there are any law students or you know very young new lawyers listening, you should absolutely do it. 
and reaching out to others. And, you know, the American Bar Association in particular is such a a resource. You know, like you, Dave, I have found so many stories like that through my ABA network alone, you know, and I'm a part of uh, several different professional organizations, but it's having a network to support you is critical. And knowing, as you said, that people do want to see you succeed, which and that all relates to the next tip that I have, which is develop resilience. You know, it's easier to be resilient when you do have a tribe of people that support you. It may be embarrassing sometimes when a setback happens to kind of go to those that that are around you that may be wiser and, and further along than you. But, you know, just opening up even in your times of vulnerability to those around you and making sure you have people around you that you can go to. And you have to be careful because everyone that says they're for you is not for you, right? But the more purposeful you are, the more intentional I have been in my life and more in alignment with my life purpose, the more I have been able to even discern who is for me and can be a good sounding board and place of comfort and solace during times of difficulty. You know, our profession, it's a hard profession. Uh, We're going through a global pandemic that has financial repercussions that we have never seen before in the history of our society. So there is a lot of uncertainty out there. And so this is a time when as lawyers, as people, we have to be resilient And so resilience is really not about being perfect and so good that nothing negative ever happens to you, which is a myth, I think, as kind of a younger lawyer that you think, right? But resilience is about your ability to rebound back and to come back from adversity. So it presupposes that adversity is going to happen, So you should prepare, as they say, for the worst, right? But know who you are, what skills you have, and who's this tribe you have around you that can help lead you and guide you because you're not alone. You're not alone. There are always people around you that can help you, and that helps you to be more resilient as well. Well, Tiffany, I think folks listening to the show today would be interested in sort of hearing uh, one of those particular journeys that that you made. And I think the work that you do in Africa, I think, is to me sort of the most most interesting thing. You know, people talk about be the change you want to be in the world, right? And I think that's one of the th- things that I think draw me to your uh, biography. And I understand that, you know, of course, there's an ABA connection to that, but I'm more interested in kind of the the personal connections that you made in order to start doing that work work in Africa. Oh, absolutely. And there's also, I had to overcome kind of a a mental block, so to speak, or self-doubt to even put myself out there to even have that opportunity. But, you know, one of my uh, professional mentors, Paulette Brown, former president of the ABA, is the one that really recommended me to consider putting my credentials out there to be considered by the Rule of Law Initiative as an expert that could add some value to some of the projects that they were doing internationally. 
you know, I, even in seeking my relationship with Paulette way back, uh, when I was a federal prosecutor, one of my colleagues was very good friends with Paulette and wanted to introduce me to her and, and did. And I was a little intimidated. I was new to New Jersey at the time, having started my practice in Massachusetts. And I knew she was a luminary there as well. And, but I overcame kind of that, that nervousness about establishing this relationship, you know, with someone that was more seasoned in the profession. And it led to a mentoring relationship that through every step of my career, she's someone that I can go to, you know, when I'm down, when I lost that job, I could go to her when I wanted advice on something, when there was some trajectory that, you know, even, even running for like counsel the first time I ran and, you know, she encouraged me when I thought like, oh, maybe no one will vote for me. So uh, similarly, I put myself out there and, and thought, you know, I'm not the sort of person that can do work uh, internationally, but put myself out there and was selected. And, and now I'm able to use the same set of skills that I do in the U.S. just to empower lawyers and judges overseas. Wonderful. Okay, so I think we're down to our uh, last tip here. What do yes. you have for tip number five? And that leads me to my last tip, which is to start small. Baby steps. Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. So I started small, even with the doubting myself, with putting my credentials out there. All I had to do first and foremost was first, just send them your CV. So I had to start with a small step of, you know, updating my CV and just putting my CV out there. And then taking the next step after that, the next step after that. So I think that sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the big picture of what it may take to advance in our purposeful life. But take the small, tiny steps intentionally, one right after the other. And if you fall down, be resilient, get back up. Remember that vision and remember what is at stake with living a purposeful and fulfilled life. This has been a good chat, Dave. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, if anyone uh, wanted to uh, reach out to you or learn more about your work, uh, what's the best way for folks to reach you? Sure, they can just email me at Pepperdine, tiffany.williams at Pepperdine, that's P-E-P-P-E-R-D-I-N-E dot E-D-U. I'm on LinkedIn as well as Tiffany Williams. Excellent. Well, thanks again for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Now it's time for our quick tips from the ABA litigation section. So let's welcome back Daryl Wilson to the show. Daryl is an in-house litigator at Tyson Foods, Inc. in Springdale, Arkansas. Thanks for coming back, Daryl. And I hear you're going to talk about discovery. Thanks, Dave, so much. Yes, today is going to be discovery. So you all talked about, you know, finding your path and finding your way in life. So let's just say that that path is being a litigator. So what I want to do is make sure that while you're on that path of being the best litigator, that you try to avoid some of those discovery issues and those discovery quagmires that are often typically found in those objections as you respond to discovery. There is an article that I pulled kind of my tips from today, and this article was written by Andrew Felser with Felser PC in Denver, Colorado. And this particular article discussed the kind of the guidelines that are outlined with Rule 34 and the requirements in responding to discovery and making those objections. 
So oftentimes when you get those interrogatories propounded to you or those requests for production of documents or even those requests for admissions, you immediately want to respond back with objections. A lot of times you respond back with those objections that you know are either unduly burdensome or irrelevant or overbroad, and you'll leave it there without providing any type of content. So there was a case in the Southern District of New York that was filed in 2017. It's Fisher versus Forrest, where the issue was an issue of discovery and those boilerplate objections. In that matter, the court ordered the defendant to conform its responses and objections to the requirements in Rule 34. The court also announced that going forward, that discovery responses that didn't conform to Rule 34's requirement to state objections with specificity will be deemed a waiver of all objections except as to privilege. So that's kind of a heavy burden. So when you get ready to draft those discovery responses and you're getting ready to object, I want to offer a few tips for you that will allow you to have a winning objection. First, when you state that objection is overbroad or unduly burdensome, make sure that you provide some type of content to let the court know why a request is overbroad or unduly burdensome. If that may come through a production where you have to go and search through a whole bunch of files and the files are not on, I guess, in an e-discovery format, and you actually have to go through boxes in a store back storage room of some facility to be able to produce those documents. You want to make sure that you let the court know that the time that will be put in place for that and also the money that will be expensed to create or produce those documents may be overly broad or unduly burdensome to the particular client, especially if they may not have a high level of relevance when you uh, get ready to produce those documents. So as you get ready to do that, make sure that you do provide the court with some type of understanding as to why you make those objections and that they're not just boilerplate or that they're not just filling up gaps so that you don't have to produce those documents. In doing so, you want to make sure that even when you do that, that you create some type of, I guess, privilege log to produce if you are going to withhold some documents. So privilege laws do go a long way. So when you get ready to be, I guess, held into the court on a motion to compel because you have inserted some type of privilege or some objection, you want to make sure that you let the court know why you're making that objection or let the court know that there is a privilege log and why you're withholding those documents and hopefully that if you do those things, they will avoid you from landing in the court, having to explain yourself to a judge as to why you objected to a particular response to discovery or why you did not produce certain documents. So you want to make sure that you comply with Rule 34 and your requirements when you get ready to respond to discovery. And Dave, I want to thank you again for allowing me to be on the show. That is my tip on discovery quagmires. Well, fantastic, Daryl. Thank you for being on the show today. And I have a motion to compel that you'll come back for the next episode. So thank you so much. Motion granted. <laughs> well, thanks, Daryl. And a huge amount of time and energy for many volunteers went into making this episode. This show is produced fabulously by Rich Rivera. Thanks so much, Rich. My gratitude, of course, goes out to the co-chairs of the litigation section's audio content committee, Josh Jones and Tyler True, as well as Michelle Oberts, who's on staff at the section. Michelle, your kindness knows no bounds. Thank you to Lawrence Coletti and the audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. 